Acts 1, starting with verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. Then he fell headlong. His body burst open and all of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, May his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of those must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I want you to think this morning about calling. And often when we think about that, I know I think first of like big, life-changing callings. Like the call to build the Panama Canal or the call to cure diseases, the, to fly to the moon. That's the kind of call I'm talking about. You know, the call I'm thinking of, like Moses called to lead the people out of Egypt, Abraham Lincoln called to end slavery, Henry Ford, Martin Luther King, Walt Disney, Queen Elizabeth. You can think of individuals who you go, that person had a calling, right? Big, life-changing calling. It shaped them and it shaped the world. When Christians talk about this, we often talk about it and we think about life-changing callings also, that God is calling us to follow him and these calls are going to result in some kind of radical thing happening. Um, we often think of those calls coming to people like missionaries or evangelists or pastors. We think God gives them calls that are big, life-changing calls. But we're starting to understand more and more that there's all kinds of callings. And whether you're a plumber or a teacher or a lawyer or a mother, that the calling that you have received from God is important. So if you receive the call, you should follow that call, and that will shape your life, and it will shape the lives of all the people that you are impacted these are life, big, big life-changing calls. This sermon's not about those kind of calls, okay? We're actually going to talk about a different kind of call today. We're going to talk about the kind of call that comes every day, the everyday kind of call to follow God wherever he leads you. That's the kind of call we want to talk about. This is the kind of call that we see 
illustrated in the book of Acts over and over and over again. Yeah, there are some really big, life-changing calls that impact the world and change the world. But behind those calls, there's all kinds of daily, everyday, step-by-step, moment-by-moment calls that come upon the disciples, and they follow them. And we want to look at the kind of impact that that has. The Gospels describe disciples who were kind of slow learners, kind of passive, kind of quarrelsome, kind of you know, not always getting what Jesus got them, wanted them to get. When Jesus was arrested, they abandoned him. They denied him. Um, After Jesus' death, some of them actually abandoned the mission and went back to fishing. These were the kind of disciples that are often described in the Gospels. It's like they don't get it. And then we get to the book of Acts, and there's like a switch is thrown, and these same men become bold and courageous and adventuresome. They follow wherever Jesus wants them to go. They receive power. And the first two chapters of Acts describe this power that they receive. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of this power, they carry on these missions that they're given. Big missions, but they carry them on day by day by making everyday decisions to follow, and that changes the world. So, we want to look at that in a little bit more detail. Now, there's two kinds of Holy Spirit power kind of displayed in the book of Acts. One is those big kind of dramatic unleashing of the Spirit's power. And you go like, whoa, this is huge. And you see this big moment where something has changed dramatically. That is part of the book of Acts. Sometimes the Spirit works in dramatic ways. Other times we see that the Spirit works in small little ways, just working consistently over and over and over again in the lives of these disciples. We see that that power is also unleashed too. So what I want to do is drill into this little passage in Acts 1 a little deeper, and I want you to decide if you think this is a big, dramatic move of God's Spirit, a big, dramatic unleashing of power, or if this is the everyday kind of power, everyday guidance kind of power. Okay? So you listen and pay attention, see if you can figure out big, dramatic display of God's power or an everyday guidance. So here's the story. Peter stood up among the disciples, and it was about 120, and said, Judas is gone, we need another disciple, and they picked one. Okay, that's the whole story. Big dramatic unleashing of God's power or an everyday guidance? What do you think? Okay, let's go in a little bit more detail. Judas betrayed Jesus. And now there's only 11 apostles. The rule for an apostle is you have to have seen Jesus. You have to have witnessed his ministry and been there while he was doing it. 12 seems like a good biblical number. It seems like a significant, important number. So we should have another one to replace Judas. So it seemed good for them to explore this. And they've been praying about it, by the way. And, oh, they also found some scripture that talked about this. So they decided that this was important for them to do. So Peter, following the lead of the Holy Spirit and depending on the guidance of Scripture, says, let's pick another disciple. Is that a dramatic unleashing of the Spirit's power or everyday guidance? What do you think? Okay, well, we'll see. So the next thing that happens is the 11 disciples go out and they take a poll of everyone in the church. They get as many opinions as possible of all the potential 
candidates, and then they vet them with their strengths and weaknesses, and they brainstorm a list of qualities that they want to see in this leader. Then they form a committee to study these qualities and put together a beautiful, glossy profile, which is mailed out to all the candidates, and see who fits the bill. And then they ask for resumes, and they have all the candidates write essays to a couple dozen theological questions, and then they conduct a series of phone interviews, followed by traveling to visit the candidates, followed by grading them and marking them in their preaching style, their administrative talent, their pastoral skills, experience and personality. And then after compiling this, they make a final slate, which they conduct further interviews, and then they call them in and have a deciding vote. And two years later, they have their 12th man. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Is this like the dramatic power of the Holy Spirit at work or everyday guidance? Okay, well, the story doesn't exactly go that way. Here's how the story goes. Peter, <coughs> excuse me, Peter says, it's necessary for us to choose someone who has been with Jesus the whole time he was living among us. So that's what it means to be an apostle. Beginning from the time of John's baptism to the time when he was taken up from heaven. For we need someone to help us witness to the resurrection. So they have a clear goal in mind. They understand what it means for them to be apostles. Is this understanding a dramatic revelation of the Holy Spirit's power or everyday guidance? This is what happens next. So they nominate two people, Joseph and Matthias. And they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which of these two candidates you've chosen. And then they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and so they add him to 11 apostles. Is that everyday guidance or divine power of the Holy Spirit? Okay, you're looking more confused as the sermon goes on. I'm not sure. It seems like it's a done deal after they make this vote. But it does get a little tricky for me here. Um, They need someone to lead. They select a couple of candidates. And it doesn't really tell us how they cast lot in this case, but I imagine they flipped a coin. And God picked one of them. Supernatural power, divine guidance? I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. It's clear that they are in a state of discerning. They recognize they need good leadership, and so they are absolutely dependent on God. They're listening carefully to God by His Spirit. They're following the leading of the Spirit in all of this. They know the Scriptures and what the Scriptures say about this. They understand that biblical leadership is never based on resumes or experience. It's not based on the kinds of things we normally look for when we look for leaders. And they have lots of precedents for this. God called Moses when he was 80 years old. And he was a shepherd out in the wilderness. And one of the main things on his resume was he was a murderer. God called Aaron. And one of the big things on his resume was making golden calves. So he was good at making idols. And he also is pictured as being somewhat quarrelsome with his family members. God called David, who happened to be the youngest of all of his brothers, and he was a good shepherd. That was his main qualification. God called Mary, and she was just a teenage girl. God called Peter. He was just a brash fisherman. God called Paul, and Paul was a murderous Pharisee. I'm seeing a little pattern. If you want God to use you, maybe you need to kill somebody. God sometimes calls dashing, talented, vigorous people to ministry. I'm not saying he doesn't do that. But God often seems to call ordinary, everyday people 
to be his disciples. It seems like more often he calls people who are flawed and filled with wrinkles and failures, and he calls them to be his disciples. God calls all kinds of people. Which is the more dramatic revelation of the Spirit of God? The big, life-changing, dramatic moment, or God using ordinary, everyday people, or even flawed people to accomplish his mission? Which one is a bigger display of the Spirit's power? About six months ago, I had a conversation with someone, a leader, and um, this person complained about the way most congregations do ministry. He's looking at churches and he's saying, you know, we could do what we do without the Holy Spirit. That was his conclusion, that most of us act most of the time like we can do that. And he also complained about most Christians. He said this, most Christians live powerless lives without the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. And as soon as he said it, his comment bugged me. I was immediately defensive because when he was saying most congregations, he was talking about us. And when he was saying most Christians, he was talking about you all. So I got defensive and I wanted to protect you. But it got me wondering, do we actually do ministry and live our lives as Christians without the Spirit? Do we not need the Spirit to do it? We just keep doing the same things even if the Spirit wasn't present. So I thought I should pay attention to this. And so over the last many months, I've been paying attention. I've been looking around. I've been watching you all. And I've been looking at my own life to see, do I live as though I actually need the Holy Spirit to guide me or not? Would you like to guess what I found out? Yeah? Okay. Well, I'm absolutely sure that there are some people that I meet who have no idea what the Spirit's power is. They've never seen a dramatic display of the Spirit's power and they have no idea what everyday guidance is. I know that there's people like that, even within our congregation. But they're the exception. What I have seen over and over again is people who are absolutely dependent on God's Spirit and following God's leading every day in all the stuff that they do. And this has just been so encouraging for me to see. So the first thing I notice is this. At the most basic level... You can't become a Christian without the work of the Spirit. You know that, right? This is how the Bible describes us before we come to faith. It says, you're dead, right? A dead person can't come to faith until they become alive. You can't make yourself alive. So the first thing we know is that we need the Spirit of God to come and enliven us. This is what the Spirit does. And it actually starts before we get enlivened by the Spirit. God starts working to reclaim us. Because in this state of not having faith, we are people who are held captive by our own selfishness, our own selfish desires, and by every other evil in the world. That's what, that's what holds us captive before we come to faith. And so God makes a decision. God says, I want you. I want you to be my daughter and my son. I want you to be my child. And so he reclaims us from our own selfishness and from the wickedness that's all around us. And that's the thing God does. He does it before we're even aware that God is doing anything. He says, I want you. He reclaims us. And then God continues working by saying, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to enliven you. You're dead and now you're going to be alive. The Bible tells us all about this. God starts his work while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's how the Bible just talks about it. And the Spirit starts this work to bring us alive who were once dead. 
And we are made vital and given this entirely new life. The Bible says, in Christ we're new creations. The old has gone, the new has come. This is a work of God to make us brand new. It's a work of the Holy Spirit to create something that wasn't there before. A new creation. And to take the old away. And then God continues to renew us day by day and step by step. So that we say things like this from Galatians. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So there's this constant work of God in me to renew me, to reshape me, to reform me, to make me a new creation over and over again. None of this happens without the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you say, I confess faith in Christ and you know that Christ is at work in you, you have the Holy Spirit, as Bruce said, living inside of you. It doesn't happen without the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is how the process starts. But now we've been paying more attention to what happens after that process. So after we come to faith in Christ, now we've got the Holy Spirit living in us. What kind of power do we need to live day by day and step by step? Now, I could have picked almost any day and almost any week to do this, but I thought I'd make it current, so I'm going to use this past week. I'm going to start with this last Tuesday. Here's what happened to me last Tuesday. First thing in the morning, Mary and I started to discuss some study material that we're working on called Saturate, which is about missional communities. And this week's material was about how we are family. And the material goes really deep into this idea of understanding that because we're in Christ, we should be in relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should be in relationship with the world. And the way this material was working on Mary and I was we, we thought it was saying to us, you need more relationships and deeper relationships. More relationships with people in the community and and outside the church. You need more and deeper relationships. And our reaction to this material was, oh my gosh, we're exhausted. We don't think we can have much more relationships than what we already have, and we're not sure we can go much deeper in the relationships we have. So we're like really frustrated with this, and we're thinking, what is God saying to us? What are we supposed to do about it? But then we kind of concluded this lesson must be for somebody else. (laughs) So... I come to my office, and about the first thing that happened to me in the morning is I get a, friend, uh, a call from my friend Dan, who has just been in the hospital for 13 days because his appendix burst, and he's recovering from that, and he wanted to chat about it, so he talked quite a while about that. And then, by the way, that means he hasn't been able to go to work, which, by the way, they haven't got my unemployment figured out yet, so by the way, I need some gas money. So now my friend Dan's asking me for some gas money, and uh, I chat with him for a while and try to figure out what to do with that. No, no sooner have I hung up with him that I get a call from a woman I've actually only met one time before, and she's trying to get out of an abusive relationship, and she's lost her job, and she's about to be homeless, and she doesn't know what to do about it, and she wanted some advice, and so I'm trying to figure out what to do with her, and she talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it, and talked about it, if you know what I mean. And this was my day. One more call and one more encounter after another of people who needed something from me. And I was doing my best to try to like figure out what to do. So I felt prompted the next, that's Tuesday, I felt prompted the next day to run over to see my mother-in-law at Westridge over here. And after I was leaving there, I noticed I was out of gas, so I stopped at the Casey's on the corner, and while I was getting gas at the Casey's on the corner, someone else was pumping gas, who I knew, who just happened to be coming from a biopsy from the doctor's office, and so she came over to talk to me while I pumped my gas and was very scared, and so I got to pray with her in the Casey's parking lot, 
which, by the way, was a first for me, so I got to pray at Casey's this week. And then after that, I had more appointments and calls, and then I decided I was going to go grab a quick lunch, and I was planning to get my taco and run. And when I got in there, there was a couple I knew there, and they said, hey, why don't you come sit down and chat with us? So I sat down and chatted with them and had a very meaningful conversation with them and also got to check on their son, who I haven't seen for a long time, and I wanted to know how he was doing because I was, he was on my mind. And then that night, actually, when I was leaving Westridge, lo and behold, here comes the son of this couple dropping someone off at Westridge at 9.30 at night, and I got to chat with him in the parking lot and then went home. And this just kept going all week long. A mother called me who was worried about her family, A friend emailed me with some challenges and some opportunities. I had a pastor stop by out of the blue to discuss a a mutual colleague we know who's in a crisis and what we could do about that. Even when I was out on my morning jog, I was running right past Truman School over here, and I see a friendly face smiling at me, and I hear a cheery, good morning, Pastor Kent, and it's a daughter of someone who goes here walking to Taft, and I say, good morning, Kiera, and that was actually one of my best encounters all week long. This was my week. This is a normal week for me. There's just lots of stuff and lots of people and lots of things. But this week I was paying special attention to the question of where is the Holy Spirit in this? And with each call and with each conversation, with each interaction, I'm wondering what does the Spirit want me to say? And how can I help? And actually, as each of these interactions went, I found myself with words I hope were helpful, and I found myself actually energized and engaged and enlivened, and I found myself really keenly interested in each of these people and what's going on with them and what does God want for them. A dramatic work of the Holy Spirit or everyday guidance? So I'm kind of tricking you today because I don't really think those two things can be separated. It seems to me that everyday guidance is a dramatic, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. And we should just pay attention to it a little bit more and start to recognize that the Spirit is working. We can't live our lives as Christians without absolute dependence on everyday guidance of the Holy Spirit, day by day and step by step. And that's absolutely a dramatic power of God's Spirit at work in us. So we had pretty good luck last week with the conversations. I don't know, I'm sure I probably annoyed somebody with it, but I want to try it again today. So I want you to try to get together with groups of four or five or six people, and I want you to just share some everyday experiences that you're going to have in the coming week. You don't have to say anything else about what they are, what's going to happen there, what's going to... I just want you to become aware. These are the kind of everyday things God could work through. So I just want you to maybe list some things you do, places you go, people you're going to see this coming week that are kind of normal, routine, everyday experiences. Would you be willing to do that? So get together with a group, three or four or five. If someone's by themselves, pull them in your group. And each of you share two or three things that are normal, everyday, routine experiences that you're going to have in the coming week. Go ahead. Okay, good job. You guys are great at this. I love it. I'm thinking about more of this and shorter sermons in the future, so good good job. God calls ordinary people to follow him every day and gives everyday guidance by the power of his Holy Spirit. So I just want you to think about those activities you just shared with each other 
and just maybe wonder as you're leaving this place today, how would God want to work in those ordinary experiences? What would the Spirit lead you to do in those ordinary experiences? Just pay attention to that, and maybe next week we can get some reports back on that. So, we don't know a whole lot about Matthias. This is the only time he's mentioned in the Bible, this verse right here. These two, two times he's mentioned by name. We don't know what became of him or what he accomplished. We don't know why he had to become an apostle. There's some tradition, there's some history around Matthias. Um, the, most of the traditions say that he preached the gospel and planted churches, which would be kind of similar to what the other apostles did. Some traditions say that he did that in Turkey. Some traditions say he did it in Ethiopia. So we're not sure exactly where this happened. A couple of kind of respectable traditions are that he was preaching, and this is how they described him, Matthias preached the gospel to barbarians and meat eaters, which is kind of an interesting way to describe somebody's ministry. Somebody else gives us a little light on that. He says, he preached in the city of the cannibals. So we're not sure exactly what that's about, but he went to some important places and he did some important work. He followed Jesus until the end of his life. And his life ended with him being stoned. Well, the tradition says he was either stoned or stoned and beheaded. And that's how his life ended. But he was faithful to the end, following the leading of God. Is that a dramatic work of the Holy Spirit or everyday guidance? What leads a person to follow till the end? So many of you, most of you probably know that my mother-in-law passed away early on Friday morning. And uh, again, the response has been awesome of the prayers and the calls and texts and food. I even got a visit from one of our elders yesterday, which was so great. Did the Holy Spirit tell you to bring me cinnamon rolls? <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and she prayed with us, which was very meaningful. And the Holy Spirit giving everyday guidance. So as we've watched Irene's life come to an end, I've been thinking about the question of what makes a life successful. And sometimes people think you have to have some big, dramatic, life-changing, world-impacting thing to make your life successful. If that's the case, then Irene's life wasn't successful. She was a quiet, humble, faithful wife and mother and nurse and a friend and she followed Jesus her whole life right to the very end and very faithful and uh, she was a saint. And we've watched over the last couple months a parade of people come into her room to visit her and they all say the same thing. If they knew her for her whole life or if they've only met her a few days ago, they all said the same thing. They all said, what a sweet soul. We are so glad to have known her. And when I've heard people say that, I've wondered, is that a dramatic unleashing of a Holy Spirit power? Is that what leads to that? Or is it the everyday guidance of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today and we give you thanks because you watch over us with your loving kindness. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave himself for us. And we thank you for this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit who guides us. 
And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.